So uh, this morning, um, we're kind of one week in between uh, what we just finished and where we've been. And we're going to start next week with an Advent series. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, the birth of Jesus from several different angles. And we'll do that at the beginning of, of Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel. And so we'll start that next week and that'll run us right up to the end of the year uh, through Christmas and after. And so uh, we'll start that next week. But this week, we kind of have a, a one off series or a one off sermon just in between. And so we're going to talk today a little bit about sanctification and the role that uh, spiritual disciplines play in that, how those go together. And so uh, as I was thinking about that this week and just spending time on it, it reminded me of a book I read uh, last year by a guy named Malcolm uh, Gladwell. And he wrote a book called Outliers. Uh, and I think it's about a year ago I read the book. And in this book, he talks about outliers in the sense of people that just do extraordinary things in whatever their field is. And one of the things he said in the book and one of his main thesis in the book was there's this idea. And it's not something that Gladwell came up with, but he was just expounding on this idea of the rule of 10,000 hours. And maybe you've heard that before, but someone who spends 10,000 hours in a discipline becomes truly great at it. But it takes those 10,000 hours of putting the time in to actually get to that. And so he uses all these examples and all these different things throughout the book of of uh, and he's kind of almost fighting against the idea that people are just so naturally gifted that they're just great at whatever they do, that even if they are naturally gifted, it still takes all this time to putting this time in. And so he uses the example, uh, a couple that I remember from the book. One was he talks about Mozart. And so we, we, we talk about Mozart as being like greatest composer who's ever lived. If you know anything about him, he started as a child composing music. And he said, but what we miss sometimes is, yes, he started as a child. He started when he was 10 years old composing uh, music. But it wasn't until he was 23 that he wrote any work of significance. That it was 13 years of him working at this craft. And even as, though he was naturally gifted, it still took him all these hours and all this time. Or, or he uses the example of the Beatles. It says, when the Beatles came to America and the British invasion and there were this overnight sensation and it went crazy, people cared, went nuts over the Beatles. He said, what we don't often hear is that the Beatles actually, as a band, played together. They were the house band for a club in Hamburg, Germany for, for a couple of years before they ever came to America. And when they played at this club, they played for eight hours a day, seven days a week, four months at a time. And four month intervals. So think about that, right? They're playing literally 40 hours, 40 plus hours a week, uh, 60 hours a week as a band together nonstop. And he said when they came to America, they had already played 1200 shows together. And he said, so people think the Beatles overnight just took over and they did this incredible thing. And he said, no, they spent 1200 shows together. Hours and hours and hours. And so his point is this in the book when you read it is that it takes this time that there's a dedication and discipline that goes into it. And what I want us to think about this morning a little bit together is Apostle Paul is going to say some things in Romans six about our sanctification, what leads to sanctification. And when we talk about sanctification, it's almost synonymous to what we say when we talk about discipleship here at Church of the Apostles. We say discipleship is growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And so growing into a fullness of what God created us to be, becoming more and more obedient, sanctification is being set apart for God, being more and more like him, letting him reign over your life in every way. It's almost exactly synonymous what we talk about with discipleship. 
But what Apostle Paul is going to say, and what we're going to think about this morning a little bit, is the connection of spiritual disciplines in our life to our sanctification. And I want us to think a little bit about that as we look at Romans 6, but then we're also going to look in Matthew 4 and in Hebrews 10 as we start to think about some of those disciplines that the Bible calls us to. There's a, there's a connection there in our sanctification in those disciplines, but then also thinking about some of those disciplines and how are we doing in those and how can we grow in those things. And so if you would, if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 6, what we just read just a second ago, we're going to start there with what Paul says here. Let me just remind you as we, we turn to Romans 6 together, this is a letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome. Obviously, that's where it gets its name, Romans uh, and he's writing uh, just this incredible theological work. I've heard several uh, pastors and theologians say through the years that Romans is the greatest theological work ever written. And I think there's a pretty strong case to be made for that. And all the things he unfolds in the way he says it. But you get to chapter six and he talks about us being baptized into Christ's death and raised to walk in newness of life. It's always the passage we read here when we do baptism. It's talking about you're a new creation. You're a new thing. How should we then live? Do we continue sinning? And he says, by no means we're this new creation. And so we're going to pick up there in verse 12 where he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And so I want you just to think about what he says there. Right. He says a, a lot. And that's the way Paul is in just about every paragraph in Romans. There's a lot in every single one of them. But he uses the same language he uses here in like Ephesians 2 and in Titus 3 about going from death to life. Right. You see that right in the middle of uh, verse 13. He says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You are spiritually dead. And what God has done for you by faith in Jesus is you've gone from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, the way he says it in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy has caused you to become alive in Jesus. And so by faith, through the grace of God and what he's done for us in Jesus, you become a new creation. Jesus has come and done what we could never do for us. He defeats the power of, of sin by living a perfect life and showing what it looks like to completely obey God in every way. And so he's undoing the curse that we are under in our sin, and he's showing us that. But he's not doing it as a way for us uh, to be an example for us, but he's doing it for us, that he can give us that by grace through faith. That's what we hold at the very heart of the gospel. Jesus has done what we could never do for us. And so he does it, and, he, and in doing so, as we put our faith in him, the Holy Spirit enters in our life and we're regenerated. We're made a new creation. We have a new way of seeing and operating and worshiping and understanding who God is and seeing the world. And so he says in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. You've gone from death to life. You're a new creation. And so he says you're you're, you're growing up into this. And that's who all believers are. We have this new engine in the Holy Spirit. We now have this perfect union with Jesus and with the father because of what Jesus has done for us. And we're now this new creation. But I want you to see what he says after that. Right. We're this new creation and sin has no dominion over you. Verse 15. What then? 
Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And he says, by no means. There's an error we can get into where we say, well, I'm saved completely and totally by grace. So it doesn't really matter what I do because Jesus has taken all of it. And that's a heresy. The Bible goes against that completely. It says you don't go, well, we'll just sin more. So God's grace will abound all the more. Paul actually says that at the beginning of the chapter where he says that. Do, what then do we just keep sinning and then there'll be more grace? And he says, no, you're no longer that you're a new creation. So don't keep sinning. But then verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Right? So if we keep sinning, we keep obeying our flesh instead of the spirit that is at work within us. He says you become slaves to your sin and it leads to death. He says, so don't do that. That's not who you are anymore. But then verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching of which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So he's using this example of being a slave. And they kind of knew what that was and they could understand that. But then he says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And that's what I want you to focus in on there. The last thing he says there in verse 19. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And when he talks about presenting your members, he's talking literally about your body. Who you are and the way you think and the things you do present your members, your body, you and your physical nature to things that are righteous, slaves to righteousness. And I think we could even say what he's talking about literally means establishing habits that are now in keeping with who you are in Christ. Now that you've gone from death to life, you're a new creation in Jesus. So pre present your body to things that are helping you grow in understanding of who you are in Jesus. And so he starts to call us to some habits and some disciplines. And I would say to you that I think that we know that that is true in just about anything in our life. That if we want to grow up into something, whatever it is, being really good at something, that it takes effort and it takes time and it takes dedication and it takes putting some effort into it. You don't just suddenly become good at anything. And we know this to be true. Right? I mean, pick whatever you want. Take take the examples that Malcolm Gladwell uses in his book. These people that have done great things in music or whatever it is, it took them all this time and effort. Uh, we'd say the same with uh, uh, the I think one of the obvious analogies would be like sports. If you want to be really good at golf, you don't just buy a set of golf clubs and walk out there and you're good at it. it doesn't work that way. Or you can say, well, I'll go out and I'll play once a month. Guess what? You're still not going to be very good at it. Right? Or you can be like me. You play once a year and you can be really horrible at it. But it takes time. It's not just that one thing that we do. It takes a repeated discipline and effort. You think about it like uh, playing the piano. You can learn uh, where the notes are and the keys and learn how to read music and do that. And you can kind of know how to play the piano and still not be very good at it. Not until you present your members 
your hands and you're training your mind and reading the notes and how they correspond and spending the time and the discipline and the effort does it become second nature. Only then does that practice begin to get you to a place that you can now uh, operate fully in that. And we know that to be true in just about every single discipline growing in anything. But sometimes within the church, we don't really think of it that way. Our sanctification of growing up into what God's called us to be. But the truth is what Paul tells us here is you present your members as slave to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Uh, Eugene Peterson was a pastor who just just passed away a couple weeks ago. If you know Eugene Peterson, he read tons of books. He did the message translation of the Bible. It was a great uh, encouragement in so many ways, what he wrote and what he said. But one of his books that he wrote on sanctification, he called a long obedience in the same direction. I think that's such a good picture of what he was what we're talking about here. And part of what he meant in, in saying that is your disciplines and things you put in your life and you continue to do and you continue to obey and you continue to seek and you continue to follow God in those things. And it's a long obedience over time. And that's what we're called to be. And that's the way sanctification works in our life. And so I, I want to be careful as we talk about this, though, because sometimes we can hear this and the natural bent of our heart makes it. Well, to be a good Christian, I have to do a bunch of stuff. Right? You can easily hear what I'm saying at the beginning of this and present your members to righteousness. And when I talk about spiritual disciplines and, and reading God's word and praying and doing these things that God calls us to and go, oh, well, I've got to do these things and I've got to have a checklist and I've got to do them really well if I'm going to be a good Christian. But I want you to think of it uh, differently than just that. It says we come to faith in Jesus. We go from death to life. We're a new creation and you are a new creation. God loves you completely and totally and fully, and it's because of Jesus' righteousness for you. It's all what he's done for you. But when we first come to faith, it's like uh, the Holy Spirit fills us and our understanding and what we can uh, get at and, and what we can hold in our mind about who God is and what he looks like. And it's like we can hold about this much. Right? Like this little amount is all that we can take. But the Holy Spirit fills us to overflowing in what we can understand and what we can comprehend and where we are. And it doesn't mean he loves you any less. It doesn't mean that as you grow in your sanctification, God loves you more. He's already there filling you to overflowing. But as you begin to take up disciplines and you spend time in God's word and in prayer and in worship and the things we're going to talk about. And you start to go from this little thing to digging it out to being a little more. And God continues to fill it. And God's love is not increasing. It's your understanding of his love is increasing. He doesn't love you more. It's just you're now seeing it more. And so that's an important distinction for us to get at. Because the deceitfulness of our hearts wants to make it all about what I do rather than God's faithfulness. But as we go from this little thing and we begin to take up these disciplines and we start to make it a bigger and bigger thing, right? our understanding of God grows. My understanding of my own sin becomes more clear. God's holiness is growing. I'm starting to see those things. But what happens is as I take up those disciplines, it grows and it grows and it grows. And suddenly I'm seeing more of who God is. And you know what happens? My sinful tendencies and the things that I want to do in my flesh and the things that I struggle with start to take their proper place. And suddenly they don't look so good anymore. 
because my understanding of God is growing. And so when we talk about presenting our members as slaves to righteousness, I want to make sure that you don't fall into this thinking that it's all about what you do and that that's how God loves you. But as we grow in those things, he's using those things. It's by his grace. And so he's remaking us to see those things. And so as we begin to put them in our lives, they'll still be struggles. They'll still be part of that. But it's growing in our understanding of who God is. And so when we think about that, it's very practically helpful, I think, in the sense that I I know, like I, I use golf as the example. I play golf literally once a year, maybe twice a year. And so I always say I'm really good for playing once a year. I'm not good at all, but I just tell myself that because it's like, well, I only play once a year, so I do all right. But I could begin to play um, maybe, let's say, once a month or twice a month, and I would be better than I am playing once a year. But if I played twice a month, like I do now, which means I go out on the golf course, I might get there early enough to hit a few balls at the range to warm up. Usually I don't, so I don't practice at all. I just walk out there and start playing, right? And if I did that twice a month, I would get a little better than I am right now, but I still wouldn't be very good because I'm never giving time to the things that I'm bad at. I'm never actually practicing putting disciplines in place that attack the things that I'm bad at. And I think the same is true for us in our spiritual life. If we come to this place on a Sunday morning once or twice a month and we sit here and we sing praises and we hear God's word and we do the things that God calls us to that are important and it's a big part of our discipline and that's a good thing. But if that's all we do and we're never putting into practice the things God tells us, if we're not presenting our members as slaves to righteousness in every area of our life, we're always going to be at that kind of level of not very good. Right. That we're always going to struggle with some of those things. And so I want us to think about what it would look like to actually take up the practices that God tells us to. And so I want to think about just a couple of them. And, And let me say this right at the beginning as we do. I'm going to hit on just a a few things as far as spiritual disciplines. And so I'm leaving a lot out, just getting at some very basic, important things. But this is an ongoing conversation. And so this isn't all of them in any way. But I want to just think together about a couple of things. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter four, it's on page 472, if you're following along in the Pew Bible. And as we do, uh, I was reading in uh, Paul Tripp's devotional that I read uh, frequently. And he said this just a, a couple days ago, and it stuck out because it goes right with what we're talking about. Obedience is an act of thankful worship, not a fearful means of trying to gain favor with God. And I want to make sure as we talk about spiritual disciplines that that's standing over everything we say. It is an act of thankful worship, not a fearful means of trying to gain favor with God. We're not gaining more of God's love, but it's an act of worship that we want to know him more and worship him more fully. And so when we turn to Matthew chapter four, this is Jesus uh, at the beginning of his ministry. So we call the, the temptation. Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. But it tells us a lot. Tells us a lot about how we uh, grow up and present our members as slaves to righteousness. And so listen to what it says in, in Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
And the tempter came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. But then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so in this short story here at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, right before his public ministry would begin, we see this temptation. And there's a whole lot that we could take from this story. But I want us to really think about spiritual disciplines in this. Uh, in this story, we're seeing Jesus undo the work of Adam. Adam and Eve being the first people that sin and sin enters the world. But Jesus is showing us what it looks like to be obedient to God in everything. To resist temptation, to follow God, to do all of it perfectly. And there's two things that I want to alert you to here when we think about spiritual disciplines and presenting our members as slaves to righteousness. And the first is just those first two verses. It says the spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. What we see Jesus doing in the beginning of this time before his ministry, before the temptation is he goes out and he fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. He spent 40 days in prayer, seeking the father and fasting. And what you see in Jesus's life and in his ministry over and over and over again is he does this continually. You see it all the way throughout the Gospels that he gets away on his own to pray and seek the father. He gets away to fast and to, to take away certain things that he can focus more fully on who God is and trusting him in all things. You see, Jesus talk about fasting in this way throughout the Gospels. He says, when you fast, do it this way. It is a given for Jesus that as his followers, we would fast. It's never uh, uh, if you decide to maybe do this certain times, this would be helpful. He just says, when you do it, this is what it looks like. And he talks about washing your face and not putting on a gloomy face and making a big deal that you're doing it, but to seek God in that fast. And so when I used to read this story, I used to think that he goes out to be tempted. And part of the temptation is he didn't get to eat for 40 days. It's easy to think that way, right? That's part. That'd be hard. It'd be really difficult to not eat anything for 40 days and 40 nights. But what Jesus was doing was preparing himself for the temptation. He was spending time seeking the father and doing so wholeheartedly in all things. And so the first thing I want us to consider is what our lives look like in the discipline of prayer and in fasting. And is that something that you're in your life that you go, yes, absolutely, that is an essential. Or maybe you hear that and you go, fasting? Really? Maybe? It's easy to hear that and go, I don't know about that. It's not something that we normally do in our culture a lot of the time. But Jesus saw these as absolutely integral to everything he was doing of walking closely with the father and in step with the spirit and all things. 
And so you'll see if you go and you look at Jesus's life through the Gospels, you'll see this repeating over and over of prayer and fasting. Fasting is an important discipline that if we begin to take up, what it does is it reminds you of how needy you are. If you never fasted before, maybe that's a foreign concept. But what happens is when you remove food and, and by the way, fast could be not just food. I would say in our culture, maybe a very helpful thing would be to fast from technology. To fast from your phone. And what will happen almost immediately within an hour is you'll be like, go to reach for it. It'll happen over and over and you'll see how needy you are and how much you rely on things. The same thing happens with food. You skip a meal or two and then suddenly you're really hungry and you're feeling it. And it's a great way to then, as you feel hunger pains, to then cry out to God. Let that be a reminder of how needy we are. And we start to pray and we start to ask him. And what it does is it develops these disciplines in us and it reminds us of our neediness of him in all things. And it's the same thing with prayer. Prayer is a difficult thing in our society today. Because it seems like we're not doing anything. But to really stop and focus prayer, and there's nothing wrong with praying in your car or as you go or praying along the way. That's a good thing and we should be doing that. But I mean to stop all that you're doing and pray. It's really, really difficult. And it's difficult because we feel like we're not doing anything. But the truth is, as we we stop and we begin to pray, we're coming before God and we're saying, I desperately need you. It's revealing our neediness. We're confessing that God is the one that's in control, not us. Me not doing anything, but talking to God about it is doing something because I'm relying more on him. And so when we start to think about what it looks like, prayer and fasting are right there in Jesus's life and all of it. So when I think about that, Jesus saw that as absolutely integral. God in the flesh that is perfect in every way. Sinless, loving God, loving people in every way, but yet he saw it as an absolute necessity that he needed to pray and to fast. How do we get to the point of wanting to be like Jesus, to grow in obedience to him, and think that those are not necessary? It doesn't make sense. And so prayer and fasting are foundational. But the other thing I want you to see here in Matthew chapter four is the way he answers every single one of the temptations. If you look closely, it's the same thing again that you see Jesus do throughout the entire uh, Gospels. Whenever he's tempted, whenever someone attacks him, whenever the religious leaders were trying to catch him and, and sort, you know, it says they would come to him and they'd try to trick him. He does the same thing every time. And you see it right here. He comes to him. If you are son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written. All three times it is written. It is written. It is written. He always quotes scripture. You see it on the cross. You see it when the disciples leave him. You see it in the hardest times. You see it when people attack, when they come at him. Jesus's answer is always to cling to God's word. And so we start to talk about disciplines. Presenting our members as slaves to righteousness, prayer and fasting and time spent in God's word. And I would take it even a step further of what you see Jesus doing here, because as Satan attacks him and as he tempts him, he uses God's word. He says, but it's written and it says this. 
And Jesus corrects his poor interpretation with the correct interpretation of what Scripture says. And for us to be able to discern when people are misusing Scripture, you have to know it. It's easy for us to take God's word and twist it to then do the things we want to do. And you see that all around in our world today. But to resist temptation, to present our members as slaves to righteousness, you have to spend time in God's word and you have to know what it says. And it's absolutely vital. And so we say prayer and fasting and time spent in God's word. These are non-negotiables. If we want to grow up into the fullness of what God has called us to be. And it doesn't mean that God loves you more or less if you know the Bible well or you don't know it well. But I would tell you that we're missing something when we don't pick up the things that he calls us to. Like John 15, Jesus says, abide in my words and my word in you and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a pretty serious charge. He says, you spend time in my word and you're going to bear much fruit. You abide in me and in my words and you obey my commands. There's all these wonderful things that I have for you. And if you don't, you can't do any of it. It's a pretty serious thing that he says. And so prayer and fasting and time in God's word. And then I want us to look at one more in in Hebrews chapter 10. And so if you want to flip over to Hebrews 10, it's on page 584. Hebrews is written to the early church to encourage them in a very difficult season and time. And so in Hebrews 10 and verse 19, it says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast for the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let me just remind you, it's the same thing we said just a second ago. You are saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. He's done it. He's completed it. He's faithful. He's the one that's going to finish it. So that's what he's saying. All of it is we get to enter in and we can come directly to God. And it's all what Jesus has done. His righteousness for you. But then verse 24, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love And good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so there's two things I want you to consider here. And the first is as we gather together corporately for worship. I read a book um, about a year and a half ago. A guy named James K. Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love. And he's talking about worship in our life and the things that we worship and the things that we give priority to. And a big part of the book, he made the case that gathering together corporately for worship is a huge part of our discipleship. And that if we don't have that regularly, we're missing out on a big part of what God's called us to. And so he's making the case that it, how formative it is in our lives. And at first, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm constantly saying, and I do say this a lot, discipleship is in all of life. It's not just an hour on Sunday, which is absolutely true. The Bible does call us to that. And so I wanted to push against what he was saying. Yeah, I agree with you. Right? I mean, I'm here every week. 
I do this, right? This is part of my job. I'm, I'm to be here. This is part of it. Yes, but I still kind of wanted to push against what he said. But what dawned on me as I was reading through what he was saying, and he was talking about coming together and, and singing God's praises as his people and reading from his word and the preaching of his word. And when we come to the table for communion or we celebrate baptism together, the things that God tells us to do, he said they're absolutely formative. And I stopped and I remember thinking about it as I was reading the book. And for 10 years, I'm here 95% of the time. And I don't say that as like, it's my job. I've got to be here, right? I should say I get to be here. It's a joy and a privilege to get to be here. But as a pastor of a church, you're always here. And I don't say that begrudgingly, like I'm upset that I'm here all the time. But what dawned on me is being here 95% of the time for 10 years is God has shaped me. He's used this, and I mean us together singing his praises, encouraging one another, coming to the table, doing that over and over and over and over again, that God does use that. He uses those means, right? We say they're means of grace coming to the table and being reminded that it's all Jesus. And we do that every week or singing his praises or praying together, or lifting needs up, or praying for people that are in need and then seeing God answer those prayers. And I think about all the times of seeing that and how important that is. And God's Word clearly says, don't neglect meeting together. That you need this reminder. That you need this time together. And so I say this for this reason. It's a discipline to make this a priority. Gathering together with believers to worship God. That is a discipline. But sadly, what the statistics say is that most people who claim to be Christians come once a month. 25% of the time. That's the average. That we don't see it is important. We see it as if my schedule allows, maybe I'll do that. Or, Or even maybe sadder than that. Is those that are dedicated members of a church that would say it's very important to their life. They come half the time, come 50% of the time. I go, whoa. And I just say this not as a, wherever you fall in that. It's not to make you feel guilty or to make you feel bad. I just say it to you in this way. It is formative to us. God knows what he's doing when he tells us this. When he says spend time together. Don't neglect meeting together. Sing praises. Come to the table. Hear God's word. Do these things that he's positively told us to do. They have a formative effect on our discipleship, and it's important. But then the second part I would say to you in this this text where he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this is where I balance just the Sunday morning. As important as that is, we need to spend time together outside of just this. And what I see when I look at all these disciplines and all these things that the Bible talks about, prayer and fasting, time in God's word. uh, There's a whole lot of other ones about solitude and silence and taking time away and spending time with God and all these things that he calls us to. Gathering together for corporate worship, having accountability with smaller groups of people. It's the way we see Jesus making disciples. We say that here deeper and deeper with fewer and fewer. 
I want to start to look at all those things. Sadly, what often happens, and, in the, and again, statistics will say this about the church. Most people will commit to two things a week. And so sometimes we read our Bible really well, and we pray a lot, and we go, you know what, I don't really need to do all that stuff because I read my Bible well. Or I go every Sunday, so I'm not going to be part of like a missional community group. I'm there every Sunday, and I read my Bible, and I do that, and I don't need other people. And so we take the disciplines that God shows us as they're beneficial and life-shaping for us, and we kind of pick and choose parts and pieces. You know, I don't have time for that, and I don't have time for that one, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And it makes me think of a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He lived in the late 1800s in England. He was a brilliant, he was a believer, he was a writer. But he said, Christianity has not been found tried and wanting It has been found difficult and left untried. That God's calling us to this great joy that comes in the things that he tells us. That there's a benefit in all these ways. That when we present our members as slaves to righteousness and we discipline ourselves and we begin to seek God in all these things, it transforms the way we see everything. The way we see the people in front of us, the way we see our lives, the way we see who God is, the way we see the things that will bring us joy. And by spending the time seeking God in all those, it's way better. But we kind of look at it and go, "Ah, I don't have time for all that. And so we just kind of keep limping along, doing a little here and a little there instead of presenting ourselves as members to slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification. And so we kind of get half of what God wants for us or just a part of it. And so all of this is to say that God wants more for us. These disciplines are not hard. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. These are good things that God calls us to. And so as we end this morning, and I've just hit on a couple things, big ideas. I want to encourage you uh, to think through what your life looks like in those different areas. I've said this frequently uh, the last couple months. But if you go out the doors and towards the fellowship hall on the table on the right in there, there's a big stack of them is what we call our personal discipleship plan here at Church of the Apostles. And it's just a questionnaire. And it asks about your Bible reading and your prayer life and fasting and how you're giving and how you're involved in the church and how you do all these different things, all these spiritual disciplines. And the only reason we've done that is to help you take stock of where you are in those areas. And begin to take steps of how do I present my members as slaves to righteousness and seeking God in everything. At the back of it, at the very end of it, there's helps on like fasting. You go, man, I've never fasted before. I don't have a clue how to start with that. Well, there's some great links in there to go read and think about how to begin to take up that practice. The same with prayer and Bible study and all of it. There's a reading list and a bunch of helps and all of that there is to help you. But here's what I would say to you. Don't do that alone. Take the packet and read through it and ask the questions. And then who are you going to share it with? Myself and Luke and your elders, Mike and Dan and Dennis, we'd love to meet with you and go through your personal discipleship plan. So we know how to pray for you, know how to encourage you in those things. If you go, I don't know how to do this at all. Great. That's what we're here for. To help equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's our job. And so we'd love nothing more to help you in those areas. And so actually the way that's written is it says that. Who am I going to share this with? Who am I going to have as an accountability? Who am I going to walk with in this? 
And so all of that is there that we would grow up into the fullness of what Jesus has called to be. It's not about putting a bunch of things in front of you or making it feel like, oh, now I've got to do all this stuff. And so let me just remind you of that quote I just read from Paul Tripp. Obedience is an act of thankful worship, not a fearful means of trying to gain favor with God. We want it to be an act of thankful worship that we want to grow up into the fullness of all that God has for us. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us so much to seek us in these ways and to continue to show us and teach us. We pray that as we come back to your word over and over, we see the way that you lived this life perfectly as you know everything that we went through and you gave us this pattern and this picture of what it looks like to trust you in all things. I pray that you would help us to grow in that. I pray that we would continue to take up new things to reevaluate where we are, how to lead our families well, how to grow in our understanding of who you are and what you've done for us. And so I just pray for each person here today, wherever they may be, uh, we thank you that we have the freedom in you, that our righteousness is completely in Jesus, that we can admit when we're not good at things, the things that we're doing poorly, that we can come out and just clearly lay those things out knowing that you love us and that you are at work in these things. And so I pray that we would have the freedom together to do that, to continue to strive to follow you more fully in all things and always, but doing the whole thing resting in your finished work along the way. We thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.